This is the Weekly Squeeze. I'm your talented and humble host, Hanala Music, coming at you from the land of Israel. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. It's a rainy, cold morning here in the Holy Land. It's been raining on and off for days. You know, I told my mother the other day, you need a very specific wardrobe when you when you live here. It doesn't have to be fancy. As a matter of fact, it shouldn't be fancy. But you do need clothing and shoes and all kinds of paraphernalia when you live here just to cope with being in Israel. Israel just sends things at you from every direction. First of all, the seasons. There's a reason why Israelis wear basically sandals or boots. It's either sandalim or blundstones or Adidas sneakers. I mean, first of all, there's not a whole lot of variety. We don't have Zappos. And people don't order shoes online because... If they're the wrong size, you will be out of luck for six to eight months or until the Israeli comes back to get your box. <laughs> so that that's not happening. So Israelis are very basic when it comes to stuff. But you do need a, a, a lot of gear to live here. It, it's been raining. It's muddy. I tell you, I am sometimes four or five inches in the sludge with my dog on the mountains, loving every minute of it. But it is a chore when you come home because you have to wash off the mud and then you have to wash the floors. And it's just, you know, it's it's not the elegant life of my grandmother in Crown Heights circa 1989. (laughs) It's a different vibe. And that's fine because everyone I meet here is pretty much on the same page. I met another girl today. She's Swiss, right? So she's Swiss, speaks French. We meet in the park. She has a beautiful husky dog. I have a half husky dog. It's pouring. We are both standing with our parkas on. In the pouring rain with our dogs who are getting soaking wet and running in the darn pond, (laughs) the one that I hate, in our park enjoying their lives. So I'm talking to this woman who owns this dog and she tells me she's from Switzerland and she grew up with cleaning help and everything was pristine. And here we are standing in the dripping rain, loving every single second of it, knowing that if my mother knew I brought a wet dog into my house now and didn't even immediately wash the floor because first I have to record my podcast, she would plots. But you know what? I don't care because I am living my dream. My dream was to live in Israel. It doesn't matter where, actually. My dream was to live on a mountain somewhere. It turns out it was Israel, lucky me, and have a dog and go for walks in the rain and just enjoy nature and enjoy my kids and not be so fussy about all the little things that people are preoccupied with when their country is not at war or about to be at war, which Israel is and always has been. So, you know, you just live on a different dimension here. And sometimes I think I'm manufacturing it. And sometimes I think maybe it's my imagination. Or sometimes I think maybe we're just trying to convince ourselves that it's worthwhile to live in a place that's infested with cats. And no offense to the cat lovers, but it's a little gross how many cats are on the streets here. And they look sad and, you know, a little worse for the wear. Uh, The point is that we're all feeling this because it's real. And um, we're willing to take the sesame seeds on everything. And we are willing to be a little uncomfortable because of all those magical exchanges that you have with people that relate to you which is how I found myself hugging the manager of Parks and Recreation the other day. I basically told her the the, the park needs doors because in the morning when the dog moms come to the park, the dogs are in danger of running out into the street. And she was like, it's not really a dog park. I'm like, I know it's not a dog park because we don't have a dog park. I'm not going to ask you for a dog park. All we're asking is for little baby gates. Plus, by the way, that could prevent, I was going to say a lawsuit, but there's no such thing as lawsuits in this country, an accident if a toddler wanders out of the park. 
I thought that was a reasonable argument. Of course, she just gives me some side eye and promptly doesn't write it down. In any case, after that, I just said, we should only hear good news. Let's hug. (laughs) And we hugged and it was wonderful because, you know, we're all thinking about the same thing and feeling the same way, sad and overwhelmed and a little guilty, honestly. I think a lot of us are feeling guilty and that's okay. On some level, that is okay. Uh, The most important thing is that we're channeling our energies. We're doing good things depending on where we are. And really, there's there's no excuse for not showing up in your own way, whether it's hugging the lady from the park or booking a trip to Israel or signing a pledge that says, after high school, I am going to study abroad in Israel. Even, even if it's just a pipe dream, just making that commitment, whatever channel it might be. For you, it might be praying to God for four hours and meditating and saying to heal him. For someone else, it might be writing a check to the fund in my show notes. We're raising more money for more helmets. And don't ask why they don't have helmets. I don't know. They have helmets. We're getting them better helmets because they deserve it. That's what I think. The Chayalim deserve it. Better helmets, better soldiers, improves our chance of winning faster and losing less lives. So, you know, that, that's the idea. So, yeah, what's going on here? Vibe, vibe check, as they say. Um, I mean, listen, if I wasn't taking in the kind of media that I am, uh, I would say it's fairly quiet. Although, this morning at 5.30, when I was up, of course I was up, I heard explosions, like a number of them. And it wasn't thunder. It was things exploding. And I thought, are they rigging? Uh, structures in Gaza because where else would I be hearing it from? I know there's no rockets, um, but it's just the sound of war and it's unnerving and annoying and it just doesn't feel right when things are being blown to bits not far from where you are trying to sleep. And then I thought, wow, there are so many kids in Gaza right now that are hearing this so much louder than I am. And then I thought, well, sucks for them. It really sucks for them that their parents taught them that Al-Aqsa, Jerusalem, belongs to them. And it's their God-given right and duty to fight to the death for that land that is owed to them from God above. They're living on, on the, in this dream. These are religious, deeply religious, fanatic, devout Muslims. These are not Americanized Muslims. They pray five times a day. They go to the mosque and listen to a preacher yell and scream that the Jews are infidels, that the Israelis are their enemies, and they need to kill them. And it's them or us. Now, in a normal scenario, well, it would be us, because they don't have the capacity to fight a nation state as strong as Israel. Israel is one of the most powerful countries in the world. Yes, one of the richest, most successful, intellectually advanced and progressed countries in the world. Not to mention with, you know, the most incredible army. Yes, the IDF has proved itself time and time again as being superior morally, ethically, and militarily than any other army in the world. And for all these reasons, this should be a moot conversation. What do you mean it's us or you? It's us. That's it. We're done. But, but, but instead, because their depravity knows no bottom and because they have no shame, you have to understand What we have here is a culture that has no shame. They are not ashamed that they're hurting people. They're not ashamed that women are suffering. They're not ashamed that gay people are thrown off buildings. They're not ashamed that they steal. They're not ashamed that they kill. They're not ashamed 
that they smuggle, that they use drugs, that they hurt people, that they don't do things ethically, that they don't have acceptable morals. They're not ashamed. They're living in a different vortex. They're not ashamed that they've infiltrated UNRWA. Like, they don't even care. Like, of course we're going to use every single possible asset around us to hurt other people. There's no shame there. And that's what sets us apart because the Jewish people have that inborn, genetically predisposed mida of shame. And when you have that uh, awareness, you treat people better. You just treat people better. And that's what every terrorist who comes out of Gaza, every reformed Palestinian, reformed son of Hamas, brother of Hamas, sister-in-law of Hamas, aunt of Hamas, everybody's related to Hamas over there somehow, but they all say the same thing. This is the way they treat everything. This is the way they treat all beings. This is the way they treat animals. This is the way they treat plants. They tore the, the orchards and the trees out of their roots when the Jews left Gush Katif, when the Jews left Gaza. 17 years ago, they left the greenhouses thinking, okay, they'll give them a little economy. The, the Arab uh, farmers can make a little living here. What, why? I mean, Jews don't rip trees from the ground. We don't destroy if we don't have to. It's painful. The Jews had to take graves of soldiers out of Gush Katif. Could you only imagine having to notify those families, rebury them, and then mourn again? There's a, there's a halachic process. There's, a, a, there's another funeral when bones are exhumed. The fact is that Jews value life and everything that's living. And here is a society that has no shame. And every reformed Palestinian says the same thing. They were also treated like garbage. They were also abused. The way their father, brother, sister-in-law, aunt, whatever it was, they were treated cruelly. Because you have, to ha- you have to be lacking shame to treat another human being that God created. Who created you? God created you, right? And he created him. So if you are brutalizing another person, you have no value for yourself because the, the same God who created him created you. But they don't believe that. They believe the Jews were born cursed, that America is Satan, and their religion allows them to kill, kill, and kill some more. And they're going to convince the entire West that it's either them or us. And you have to choose. You have to choose that either we are allowed to kill them because that's what the world's message is to Israel. Let, let, well, just give them a state. Just give, you know what you should do? You should give them a state so they have everything they need to continue manifesting terrorism because that's all they know how to do. So you want to take a nation of terrorists, terrorists that have spent all the money you've given them creating an infrastructure of terror underneath Gaza, and we're going to give them a state. Huh. That makes sense. Not only that, we're not even going to ask or tell Israel because clearly... Israel is missing the, missing the plot. They're missing the plot. They, 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 they're missing the point. The point is that if you give in to a terrorist, they will stop terrorizing you. <laughs> That's the point. Hello, does anyone not realize that if Israel would literally roll out the red carpet, there would be war on the streets? Do people not understand that we are dealing with a nation of terrorists or terrorist supporters? I follow the news. The only Palestinians that are frustrated are the Palestinians that had enough. The rest of them are just like, this is our mazal. This is what we have to do. We're just going to have to keep dying because that's the Palestinian way. We're doing it for Allah. And if it's not us, it'll be our children and our, and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. 
it's not like these people are elegant, you know? So they're walking in sandals and it's not like it's that cold either. I don't see anyone raising money for Arabs living in tents all around the Middle East in, in the north where it's below zero half the winter. So, so, do, so do me a favor when it comes to worrying about the winter in Gaza. Besides the fact that these people are professional liars who are in the business of creating paraphernalia that will convince the West that they're more pitiful than they already are. And yes, it is pitiful. And no, I don't have to see it on the news here in Israel. I don't care how they are doing. It's their terrorist bed, and now they are sleeping in it. And I'm sick and tired of the rest of the world putting sheets on their mattress so they should be a little more comfortable. It's just not okay. And as you can tell, I'm frustrated this morning because we're talking about a two-state solution and we still haven't gotten the hostages. It's like, can you be more offensive, world? Can you make this more unbearable? Oh, my goodness. I'm looking at a picture of a bride and groom. He is holding a machine gun, and she is holding a machine gun, and someone wrote, the definition of a photo shoot only in Israel. Okay, maybe they're both in Miluim. Maybe they're at a wedding, and somebody passed them guns because we're during a war. I don't love these pictures. I really don't, although... Echassan and Kala have to go to war even during the week of Sheva Brachas. I'm just putting this in there in case somebody wants to correct me. I always say one mistake a show just to make sure you are listening. <laughs> I could be wrong, but either before Sheva Brachas or after Sheva Brachas, I just don't think we should glorify weapons. That is their way. We don't need it. We don't need to fight. We don't need to arm ourselves because... If Jews just lived peacefully, undisturbed in their land, there'd be very little crime. And there is crime. Don't get me wrong. There is crime in this country. Um, pretty terrible crime, too, because humans are humans, and the Yetzirah will lead you down a very dark path, regardless of your religion. Uh, but at the end of the day, we are not fighters. And uh, I, I, I truly hope that we can move out of this phase of war. And yeah, it's cool to listen to all these songs and harbu darbu and be fierce and be bold and have our tanks rolling in and it's the army of Hashem and it's the tzava and we're, gonna, we're the lions of Israel and all that. It's it's all fun um, and dandy. But at this point, I, I could just live without war. I could Remember those days when I used to just wake up in the morning and think, where should I go today? Where in Israel... Should I travel, explore, and sightsee? That really feels like the good old days, and I, and I hope we can get back to that soon. Um, in the meantime, it's all war, 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 but good stuff. Such a beautiful video from the IDF soldiers in Battalion 5053. There must be 500 guys and girls in this room, and they are standing up. This must be after they, yeah, it's after they came back from war, and they are, I guess they're having their little goodbye get-together, and they're thanking the bus driver who drove them from base to location to war zone, I suppose. And it's just so heartwarming to see all these soldiers cheering for this bus driver. And it shows such beautiful hakarasatayv appreciation. And that's really what it's all about. Speaking of appreciation, Noah Kirel was at the People's Choice Awards last night wearing what appears to be a garbage bag, a leather, poofy, Oh, it's just so awful, but it's so beautiful because it's a big, fat, yellow ribbon pinned to the back of this garbage bag-looking jacket um, for for the hostages. And she went like that to the People's Choice Awards, and she's a beautiful girl, and she's representing. And I was like, this outfit's so bad. And then I saw everyone else's, and I was like, okay, it's not so bad. Did you see what Billie Eilish was wearing? No? Okay, it wasn't so bad. So thank you, Noah Kirel, for representing 
Israel and our hostages. May they be able to come home soon and resume their lives and enjoy music and award shows in peace with their families. A beautiful, beautiful production of Jerusalem of Gold. If you don't have Instagram, good for you. If you do have Instagram, I posted this on my beautiful land of Israel Instagram page. Jerusalem of Gold, Yerushalayim Shel Zahav, from Dutch violinist Andrew Ryu in a soul-stirring performance in Tel Aviv. This is one of the most beautiful, soul-stirring performances I've ever seen. He's an incredible musician. The crowd is full of Israelis. Everybody's singing. Everybody's crying. Mind you, this is a few years ago. This is a few years back when he came with his orchestra to Tel Aviv and performed this at the finale. And it was just a moment that reminded me, number one, of the innocence of Israel <laughs> before, before October 7th. You know, before October 7th, I would have watched this performance and been like, wow, it's so beautiful. It's so emotional. The Israeli people have so much in common. They have such a deep history. They've been through so much. They fought for this land. Now, next level. I am completely, completely, deeply affected and connected to my Israeli brothers and sisters after October 7th. And watching this performance and the way that people react to it, it just cut really deep. The people of this country drink blood to live here. We drink blood in our coffee to live here, to be here, to protect this land physically and spiritually because Israel has to deserve peace on its land. Don't forget, the land itself is alive and has a relationship with God and begs God that the people should be able to live here in peace and cultivate the land and produce and grow and, and glorify God in a land that's deserving of the Shekhinah, a land that reflects the beauty of God's creations and the flowers and the nature, and of course with the people. So everything just feels a little bit off these days. Like the land is mourning the hostages, waiting for them to come home. This rainy season feels a little weepier and sadder than usual. And while everything is vibrant and green, there's just a sense of desperation in the air. So that's my recap for today. But don't despair. I'm not going to leave you on a downer. First of all, I want to remind you that I do have an active campaign going on in my show notes. So for all of you who've contributed, thank you so much. If you haven't, $18, $36. It's going to some incredible gear. I was there at the manufacturer. We saw the warehouse. We know the people supplying it. It's all completely legit, board certified, army certified. This is this is the real deal and nobody's taking any cuts. It's not going through some organization. This is straight to the army. My friends arranging it. I'll probably be there at the next drop off. So if you, if you wanted to contribute to the IDF soldiers, if you have an affinity for that specifically, you're protecting someone's husband, someone's son, um, someone's father. So make a donation and let's get the guys the best gear money could buy. What else did I want to tell you before I introduce my friend? My friend Shibolet is here. I met Shibolet in the dog park and we became fast friends, not to mention the flourishing friendship between our dogs, Bailey and Oreo. So we're going to have a conversation with Shibolet. I just wanted to see if there's anything else I wanted to cover before I let you go. 
because, you know, I try to keep you in the know. That's like my pledge. And there's so much information coming in at all seconds of the day and night. I, did you see Susan? I'm sorry. Did you see Susan surrounded? That's what I wanted to talk about. I, I, ha, I There's no words. And there's no words. All day long, I've been singing ceasefire now. <laughs> there's no words. Susan Sarandon, together with, what are these called? Code Pink. Oh, bless them. Bless their hearts. Together with a group of Code Pink women and one man wearing a green Palestinian t-shirt, even though he looks like he's from Chicago. They're standing in Washington singing ceasefire now over and over like a bunch of off-tune lunatics who had too many tequilas for breakfast let gaza live ceasefire now stop genocide and there is dear sweet misguided susan sarandon wearing a red plaid schmata around her neck uh, together with these nut jobs singing about ceasefire so so i i i actually thought that she knew something i didn't know watching these videos i just uh, she's Great actress, not too many brain cells, not too many brain cells. Yeah, so other than that, as far as the actual news goes, we haven't had any rockets this morning. They are bombing across Gaza. They are bombing across southern Lebanon. Um, they are killing terrorists. They are fighting our enemies. They are taking risks, executing operations, and unfoiling the deep and depraved plans of our enemies. That's it. Israel's going to do what they need to do. Even Bibi said, there will be no two-state. Actually, let me pull up exactly what he said. Because I thought this was fairly firm coming out of Israel. The Israeli government unanimously approved a declaration opposing international efforts to forcibly establish a Palestinian state. Number one, Israel outrightly rejects international dictates regarding a permanent settlement with the Palestinians. The settlement, as far as it is reached, will be solely through direct negotiations between the parties, that is us and them, without preconditions. That means there's no such precondition as we get Jerusalem, Israel doesn't exist, we get our prisoners back. There's no preconditions. We set the terms. If you don't want to accept them, you'll probably die. Number two, Israel will continue to oppose the unilateral recognition of a Palestinian state. Such recognition in the wake of October 7th massacre would be a reward to unprecedented terrorism and prevent any future peace settlement. And this is me adding this and encourage terrorists around the world to continue terrorizing because it works. You get what you want. You're offered a prize for your terror. And Israel does not want to take it anymore. We don't want to take it anymore. And we're not going to be pressured into living next to terrorists because it works for Biden politically and for Rashida Tlaib. All right, let's get to my conversation with my friend Shibolet. I got to introduce this woman because she really deserves a proper introduction. What a tzedekis, what a sweet soul this woman has. And I know it because I spend a lot of time with her in very stressful situations, walking our dogs in the mud. And she just keeps her cool and always has something meaningful to say. And I was just like, girl, you should have a podcast. She's like, I did. I said, what? So she's here today. Let me introduce you. And then we're going to get right to it. My guest today is Shibolet Felsher, who was born in Ashkelon and moved to South Africa at the age of two. She is the survivor of a kidnapping at age four and being a hostage at age 20. After making Aliyah in 2018, 
She joined an organization called Olim Advisors, where she supports and advocates for new Olim. While on her own healing and spiritual journey, she found great comfort in helping others recover from trauma and pain. She is a somatic therapist in practice in Ramape Chemish. She is a somatic therapist in practice here in Ramape Chemish. Currently, she's volunteering at One Family Fund for families affected by terror and war in Israel, as well as the new rehabilitation center at Hadassah Mount Scopus for wounded soldiers. I'm so excited. Okay, we've both been talking off the record for a few minutes, but let's get started. Share with people a little bit about your childhood, because what you went through was monumental, life-changing, life-shaping, and is helping you relate to what's going on here in Israel with the people. Right, right. Thank you, Hanele. So, first of all, thank you for having me on your show. Hi, welcome to the Weekly Squeeze. Thank you (laughs) for giving me a, a voice and a platform and... Baruch Hashem, um, people come into your life for all different reasons, and our dogs brought us together in the dog park, and he, they knew, or Hashem knew. That's crazy. <laughs> He's like, you need to meet this person, because we, we enjoy chatting and, you know, having intellectual uh, debates and, well, you know, And it's important bouncing. to have friends, especially yeah, at, at what we're all going through, and Mamash. even at different Mamash. stages in your life, different people come into right, your life that are Right, it's very supportive, supportive people, being social, being around people is very important. So when we moved to South Africa, I was two years old. My parents did not ask me at the time if I wanted to leave Israel. I, I probably would have said no at age two. Um, anyway, it was a good life. South Africa is, at the moment, uh, not so nice and uh, popular for what they're doing to Israel. And uh, um, I'm not not proud of being from there but uh anyway that's a whole different chat no i want to get into that yeah, uh, yeah. tell me you, you when you talk about your childhood tell me a little bit about right what you know it's how a you, beautiful yeah. place it's a beautiful country it's like what you would imagine wildlife and trees and green and it's gorgeous so i lived in a big city called johannesburg which pretty much is a city but there are i think it's the most trees in the world, in one city, is in Johannesburg. So we have those purple jacarandas, and it's just gorgeous. It's beautiful. Um, but like many places in the world, it has its issues. The government's corrupt. They um, Apartheid was a whole corruption. But anyway, after that, the government that's in power now, you know, I'm not going to get too much into it, but the point is they do not look after their people. So it's an absolute hypocritical thing that they took Israel to the international court. It's a joke. Um, I always say that Hashem has a really good sense of humor. He's like, Hashem's like, who can I find that is the worst? I feel like worst? We're, we're in a Saturday Night Live sketch. Mamash, this Mamash. whole, yeah, this, the, the whole last Hashem few months has just been one big theatrical circus. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because I was in South Africa, and even though I didn't feel afraid at any point, I do remember, let's say, not stopping at red lights at night because you could be carjacked. Yeah, we're allowed to do that. And there was like alarm systems in place in everybody's homes. And when you pulled into a parking lot, you know, you knew not to get out of your car until the wall behind you closed, the gate right. behind you closed. It is because a nuts be- way to right. live. And it is a crazy way to live. Crazy. But the gashmias is great. The physical the is great. The is... Explain you know to people what it? it's like, okay. what it was like. So first of all, I just want to say what I call it. It's a golden prison it's a golden cage we live in houses these insane mansions that you cannot even beautiful big grand opulent huge grand swimming pool the size of a hotel palm trees in your own house you hire staff like this we had a gardener so much help we had a gardener to just maintain the pool and the and the 
mow the lawn and whatever in the outside. Then we had um, two nannies inside the house. Like, this is just By nuts. the way, these people become very close very. to their employers. They're oh, like family them. in a we strange way, right? You They're totally them. like family. They're totally I mean, like I mean, our nanny, Mali, she, she was from Zimbabwe. She raised my kids. Like, I would go at, I was a lecturer in a university. I would not come home until late. So she would raise these kids. And you trusted her. I trusted her with everything. How she, come? Because you look into their eyes and, you know, you can feel, and this is comes into somatic work, you can feel someone's energy. You can feel if they're a good person. You look into their eyes and they're honest to goodness good, right? So even in South Africa, which I hate the country as a whole be, because of the Because of their politics. And, and the right, politics. Right. And there are such good people. And it's the same anywhere, right? The same in any place in the world. So we lived in these golden cages with electric ghetto fences Mm -hmm. outside surrounding the entire house. And you would hear people being shocked (laughs) at night. You hear them like popping. Or if a bird, uh, an unfortunate bird landed. A bird, yeah, sets off the alarm. And then you would hear people screaming like they're trying to break into these houses. And they're getting electrocuted which is really, really nuts. And, th- and this is how our kids grow up. So there is a sense of fear oh, that something very fear. bad could happen to you if huge a bad person fear. gets into your space. Huge fear. And, right. and, and, and there's a lot of people that are threatening. There's a lot of people that are threatening, but the human mind is so smart. It adapts because they want to live there, right? We love the Gashmiots. Who wouldn't want a nanny to cook kosher food, do your laundry, clean your house, raise your and kids? And there's Jewish schools and Jewish, Jewish synagogues schools. and supermarkets right. and Holim and there's a support and there's, you know. Correct. And, and it's a really, um, uh, what's the word? Like, it's, it's a lifestyle that you, it's hard to break away from. Right. Um, uh, we had two cars like in Israel, you know, that's that's not a thing that happens here. If you have one car, you're lucky. Um, we the, the land is cheaper. So you can buy huge pieces of land for for nothing. Like 200,000 shekels will buy you a mansion there. Literally, like huge. Was there ever a heyday for South Africans when you thought, wow, this is improving and we could have a life here and more people should move to Africa and and join us here? So I think you've hit the nail on the head. Everyone keeps hoping that it will get better, but it never does. It keeps Mm. getting worse. So at what point, um, I heard Hillel Fould say this on one of his talks to the Americans, at what point do you decide to leave? At what point? Because when the Nazis started coming into power in Germany, at what point did those Jews decide this is enough, we need to go? You keep hoping. And that's another thing of the human brain. It wants to see the good. It wants to imagine a positive outcome. And also the Jews in every generation think it can't be that these civilized people that we live with uh, that are our neighbors and our housekeepers, you know, that they would do such a terrible thing to us. My grandmother was in Warsaw, and she said she remembers that when she was returned from one of the camps at the beginning of the war, she went to one camp, and then they came back. I don't know exactly. She came back to her home, and her neighbors, who she she had grown up playing with them in the courtyards, were standing in the doorway of her house holding her dolls. They had gone into her house, taken her dolls, and the way they looked at her like, you know, this is my doll now, It that was so heartbreaking because you don't, think that civilized people will turn into savages because of anti-Semitism, and they do. Unbelievable. So in South Africa, it's not so much anti-Semitism. It's it's poor people that have nothing. They've grown up with no school, no family, no money, and they come into these big houses, and they're like, 
I deserve this. I, why do you deserve to have all of this? So, for example, my mom's nanny was the one who gave the key to the, the robbers or the, the criminals to come in, right? So that is someone that's in your house, in your space. You think you can trust them, so they can turn on you, unfortunately. They're desperate, though. They're desperate. Because they're desperate. It, it Not desperate, though, but they're desperate. But this is the same thing throughout history. It doesn't make it okay. Are you allowed to kill someone because you're desperate? No, right? You're allowed to steal? No. It doesn't make it okay. It's sad. It's a sad reality, but it doesn't make it okay. Well, that's the picture that people are painting of the Palestinians, that Correct. they're desperate and that... The victim. Yeah, and that makes their, their behavior acceptable because they have no choice. True. They're yeah. pushed up against the wall and this is what they have to do. But like you're saying, we can't live in a world where that's, that's you know, the only option is to hurt other people. Correct. There's lots of other options. I right. mean, there's... And also, by the way, uh, are Africans, is this a, a country that is Christian? What, what is their... Right. So they, there's a lot of really religious um, Christians. There are the Jehovah's Witnesses. There's like... People, missionaries like uh, christians for jews there's there's a whole lot of different groups yeah they're religious people a lot of right. them they believe in god there's a lot of africans who support the jews who are um uh really supportive of of israel as a nation right but africa is a big country <laughs> africa's huge right. right there's a lot of people also that don't and there's a lot of movements against us um, and it's easy to be paid off by iran to go to the international court right um, make, yeah. money talks and do the dirty work right okay so you're growing up in south africa you're obviously living with this unease on the other hand you're distracted life is comfortable and that right. that plays a big role in a child's frame of mind and and how they function and generally things were okay until the first trauma of your life right so you just what you said a minute ago about trusting these people that you think are good people and then they turn on you they can turn on you baruch hashem mine never did baruch hashem but um my mom's nanny when i was four years old or our nanny i was four years old my parents went out for dinner and she decided to stick us in a truck, a pickup truck with her husband, and take us to an African settlement township, which is, they live in these metal shacks, and it's not that far away. That's another strange thing, is that there's such a distinct, distinct uh, social divide, social divide, and it's so close. Like these mansions, if you look a little bit further in the distance, you'll see the, the That makes smoke. the animosity stronger. Right, correct, because we're living so close to each other, it's it's not divided. Yeah. So she she stuck me into this car in the night, and I was crying, I was in pajamas, I was like, I don't want to go anywhere. This My mom and dad would never allow us to leave the house. There's these huge um, driveways where you have to go out the, the gate. So you knew and immediately something was I wrong. I knew immediately something was wrong, and I I couldn't fight it so I cried at that point and I tried to pull away and she literally shoved me into the car and said you get in and my brother was with me at the time who's three years older and he was laughing he thought it was funny he was you know in his own dream like, world we're not going to bed I guess yeah. <laughs> he was looking out the window yeah. and laughing anyway we got to this place which I, it's amazing how much my memory can be so re realistically recalled like I can feel like I'm there at this moment and in a way it was kind of cool not that I thought so at the time but now to see how they live because I don't know how many white people get to go into those places it's definitely not somewhere you go it's dangerous there's crime there's it's like the slums it's the slums it's the literally slums, right? and it was nighttime and they it must have been winter because I remember fires burning they don't have electricity they don't have water they live in a tin shack um it's third world it's third world yeah. mamash um and I remember the faces and like walking and holding her hand and remembering and I've been through this in therapy, many years of therapy, and I remember 
saying to myself, don't cry because I was four years old. I was like, if you cry, these people are going to like interact with that noise and something might happen to you. Draw, you're going to draw attention to yourself. Exactly. Exactly. I'm going to draw attention. Like I'm just going to be as small as be possible and maybe nothing quiet. will happen to me. Yeah, be quiet. So we walked around for what, you know, time is relative, especially to a four-year-old in trauma. It felt a very long time, like at least an hour. She was looking for someone. And when I was a lecturer, my African students told me that people sell uh, body parts to these shamans, especially white people. They like to take like the brains so one or whatever. Second. Two white middle Little class kids. or upper class South African children right. can get lost in the African jungle in a second. In a second. Sold she took for, us out. Sold she for a million different reasons. You yeah. can be sold into slavery. You can be kidnapped. Whatever. You can be... I mean, that in, in and of itself... It was, just, it was frightening. And at four years old, I remember thinking, my parents are never going to see me again. I'm never going to see them again. Like that, I was more scared of that, not having that life, not having that future, than what was going to physically painfully happen, right? Um, Baruch Hashem. Hashem has saved me many times. I'm like a cat with nine lives. <laughs> <laughs> I have something that he wants to keep me around for, Baruch Hashem. But whoever she was looking for was not around, and she started fighting with her husband and arguing. And we got back in the truck, got home, and at that point my dad was back already and he was furious. He was like, what's going on? Where did you go? Anyway, she was fired, but she should have gone to the police. Whatever. I was home. I didn't care. Um, Baruch Hashem, many years later, uh, I managed to be back home with my family. And at 20 years old... One second, don't move on to the uh, next drama. Hold you, on, you, we you didn't unpack that. You I'm running away from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so you came back home, obviously you know, a tremendous feeling of relief. Why didn't your parents at that point pack up their bags and come back to Israel? Wow, that's the question, I guess, that would answer everything for everyone. Why didn't the Jews leave Germany when they saw Kristallnacht? What, they thought this was just a bump in the road, a little mishap, a South African, uh, you know... Because, again, your mind wants you to adapt and stay where you are. You can't give you know, up a child all of that. being kidnapped. But the, I was back... Uh, so what people in South Africa so say... It, so it felt like it would so it minimize it mi what it actually is, had happened. This is what people say in South Africa. If someone breaks into your house and holds you at gunpoint, when they leave, you say, thank God no one was killed. And you carry on with your life. Right. Like you don't even call the police. So you, you do, but they're a joke. Right. They're a joke. I see. So uh, you carry on. I was home. You so this on. is part of the parcel. I, I suppose you could say that if somebody would analyze life here in Israel and be like, what do you mean? Yesterday... Somebody got killed at the bus stop, and today you're riding that bus? Like, that doesn't make any sense. What do you mean? My, we're, our roots are here. This is just part of living in Israel. That's the sacrifice you make for the quality of life. Correct. So that's okay. So yeah, you're assuming correct. that's what similar it was. Similar thing, similar thing. And uh, I guess Hashem wanted us there for a certain amount of time. It's Listen, you do your Ishtadlut, but at the end of the day, there's also your fate, your uh, what's written, right? It was written that we'd be there for that long. My dad makes jokes about Moshe in the desert wandering for 40 years because he's been in South Africa 40 years. He's like, my time's nearly up. <laughs> I need to come back to Israel soon. Israel's calling. Yeah. So Baruch Hashem went through high school, went through a um, government, non-Jewish High school with all kinds of different people. It was. It gave so you me, really understood the culture. Yeah, it gave and me a society. nice. Uh, it gave me a nice understanding of Chinese people, Greek people, all different, and boys and girls. It was mixed. We uh, we didn't even know when we were little kids. We used to sing hymns 
in the primary school until one little Jewish girl elbowed me and said, stop singing. It's from the this church. Is, this, is, this is not for us. Right. Like the Lord is my shepherd and all these things. And, and I didn't know. Were your parents, I mean, did they keep things at home? No, nothing. 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 Did they talk so, about Israel? No, no. We, we, we kept Pesach, like we had a Seder. We'd have Kiddush. It's a, what do you call it, traditional. You have Kiddush and then you go out. But your parents grew up in Israel. Both they of them grew up, grew up in, in Israel. Israel, but there's a lot of secular people in Israel. So I understand, but they really secularized. They secularized in another country. They became South African. Like for them, that was their identity. They left. They were their... secular from Israel. They were never religious. Right. Right. So getting to South Africa, I guess you can move even further away. Like Yeah, and leaving South Africa is kind of giving up on that idea that you can be a Jew and separate yourself from Israel and the Jewish people and Judaism. Right. It's it's a it's a Different world. I mean, but secular is secular, anywhere you are. Um, Baruch Hashem, they came back to religion in recent years, and my sister actually started the whole movement at age 16. She decided she's going to be kosher, age 16, alone in our house. And uh, I had a friend who thought she was Jewish growing up, reform, and wanted to get married and found out she's not even Jewish. So she had to convert. So while she was converting, she wanted me to go with Tashirim, and I liked it. I was like, hey, this stuff is I can't even imagine you not. Like, you, you love right, Hashem so, so much. much. You right. love Eretz Israel, the Torah. You're like right. fully, it's so much of who you are. Right. So, it's weird, yeah. right? But uh, Baal Teshuva is, that's why we choose to come back. At age 26, I chose to come back. I went on an Orsameh tour to Israel. They took us to Neve, Yerushalayim. Uh, every single girl on the tour at that time took her jeans off, put in the trash, and we left le- wearing wow. skirts. Baruch Hashem. That's um, amazing. But one second, yeah. before we get there, um, you told me about something else that happened in South Africa. When I heard that, that one sat with me. Like, I, I that one sat with me. I played it out of my head. That is something hard to move past because it's a very ugly thing that happened to you and your friend. So can you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, I have an adult audience. Obviously, if they can handle it, I mean, I'll give you the heads up. It's not like a a happy story. Right. Right. um, Right. So at age 20, I uh, was spending a Shabbos at a friend and uh, her family was there. I was sleeping over. Um, in South Africa, most people have electric fences, and she did not. She had just moved into this house. Uh, this is the friend I'm talking about who converted from Reform to Orthodox. Her boyfriend at the time, they were getting ready to get married and bought a house together, and, and the rabbi was like, hang on, you need to go through two years of conversion to in order to marry Orthodox. So they had this house that we uh, went to on Shabbos, and uh, he went to shul, and uh, uh, around 6, 6 p.m. at night, I was sitting with her brother, her mom, and the nanny, and we're just hanging out. And all of a sudden, the door opens. We didn't lock the door either because he had gone to shul. They obviously jumped over the gate or whatever it is, and four armed, seemed like Nigerians just from their accent because you can tell the difference between a South African accent and a Nigerian or Zimbabwean. There's there's a whole lot of countries, uh, you know, a whole lot of uh, different areas in Africa that are very different. Um, and I could immediately hear that they were Nigerian, which have a history of serious crime and aggression, and uh, it's dangerous. Nigeria is really dangerous. And they come to South Africa to to get money to, to do these things. Big guys, guns, um, walked straight through the door, so four of them. And I remember my mom, this is amazing, Khanale, my mom teaching me. So this is the thing about my parents. They were secular, but... They had this ingrained uh, love of 
Torah and Hashem that came out in different ways. So we didn't keep Shabbos, or we didn't keep kosher, or we didn't dress uh, tzanua, but they always taught us about Hashem. So my dad was in a yeshiva growing up. They, they taught us things like things from the Zohar, like about the spirit world, about um, uh, what happens when a, when a person dies, goes into to Alamaba. So my mom always taught me that if you're ever in serious danger, you should say the name um, Uriel, you should call out the angel Uriel's name seven times, and you'll be protected. I remember this line since that. a child. Like she told me about Uriel the angel, and you sh- if you ever need it, it's almost like she knew that I would need it one day, but I remembered it. And as they were walking through the door, um, I said Uriel seven times. I, I didn't even look. I looked down. I just said that. Did your blood run cold? So it's a very interesting, interesting thing, trauma. Um, the brain has a way of protecting you so you detach from reality immediately um okay, as soon as your brain processes as soon as your brain hits danger. this is what's happening you're in serious danger you could die and you can't get away that's the two key things that you can't so leave flight or fight flight or fight and you and you go into this kind of disassociated state of protecting yourself because that's how you can fight that's right? how you can fight or f- exactly or, or stay or, actually or, right. or stay because in that case i had to stay so i had to detach from mm. the reality mm-hmm. of of what was really happening so you're saying if you can't fight and you can't flight you detach exactly got it a- and that's and that's called um that i guess that could be flight because you go into your mind in a certain way you right. leave you leave the situation so it could be flight, or, or freeze or even freeze right 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 Hashem program this so that we have some sort of defense mechanism when we're not in control anymore. Correct. So that or we trauma. can cope and right. actually make choices. Right. Right. It calms when, you down. When we're in an environment where we have no control. Into, right. You know, so I don't know if you saw a video of the hostages on October 7th. There was some children li- sitting on the floor with their parents and they had just killed the sister. They had just shot the sister. They streamed it on Facebook. Right. But these, the conversation that these this family was having was so surreal because... You're in the midst of hostages, of, of being a hostage, of terrorists holding you at gunpoint. Your your child or sister has just been killed. There was blood on the father's There hands. was blood, right? And they were having a conversation. They were all in shock. He was in shock, but he was disconnected. She said they in a completely later disconnected. Okay. So that's what I'm talking about. You are in this world. You can feel yourself. You know you're here, but it's almost like a dream. Like time stands still. Time stands still completely. It's it's like you're in a dream and sound changes visual changes and i was i was later told by a trauma therapist when i went to deal with that is that the blood vessels open up because you you're now afraid so your heart starts your your breathing changes and your heart starts beating faster so the blood goes to your eyes and your ears and you can hear almost like what a dog i suppose would hear because we're dog people so we get that it's but like that high ringing in your high ear high ringing but even like you get this from your sound you know sound like you you understand you hear, it yeah you hear you different can hear tones everything and, yeah. different tones like i could hear the door lock opening like and 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 their feet your senses are heightened your for senses sure. are heightened okay exactly. so so you're in this heightened mode what do you remember so i remember things being really bright so that's again the blood rushing to my eyes seeing the guns and then looking down so that I could focus on myself and not them. So time carried on. They were coming into the house, going around to the other people. There were four of them and there were four of us so that each one of them with the gun was coming to each one of us to tie us up. So by the time, you know the Matrix when like time slows down? It literally felt like that. By the time he, the terror, well, not a terrorist, a criminal got from the door to tie me up, 
could have been 30 seconds. That's how far it was. But I managed to look down so that I could focus on myself and say Uriel seven times. That's all I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. He got to me, tied me up, put me on the ground, face down on the ground, took my friend, because he said, whose house is this? So she put her hand up. She's like, it's mine. So he said, like, get up, stand up. And they took her around looking for a safe. They're like, where's the safe? We want to find the safe. Where's the jewelry? Where's Do most homes have safes? Yeah, yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. They have dollars, they have whatever it is um, that they keep, the guns, they keep guns in the safe, and they, these criminals take those guns and everything else. So she was like, because they were just starting out, she was like, we don't have a safe. So he's like, I don't believe you. Tell me now, or I'm going to shoot you and everyone, whatever he was saying. Um, it got ugly. I don't want to get into too much details just to protect certain people's privacy because it might be figured out, but it was not a was not a nice experience. Um, at one point, I was davening to Hashem. I was whispering, but I was saying, like whispering really loud, Hashem, where are you? Where are you? Like, how can you allow this to happen? I thought, you know, we came back to Judaism. Like, um, I must have been older than 20 then because we were already starting to be religious. So how? <clears throat> 25, I think, 24. I was like, Hashem, this is what the the reward that Baltishuva, what's that? You abandoned me. Like, we came back to you, like, uh, out of all odds, like, I'm wearing a skirt, I'm keeping Shabbos, I, and this is, like, what we get. I didn't understand at the time. It, it wasn't like that. <clears throat> but I kept saying, Hashem, where are you? Like, help us. So at that point, the the armed robber who was guarding us on the ground kicked me really hard in the back, and he said, shut up. Like, he didn't want me to daven. Um, <clears throat> at which point I had a panic attack. You can see my throat's like starting to close up because it, it's emotional. It's like, yeah. wow, that's yeah. a physical, re- that's somatic. You see how my throat just closed up? That's that's a somatic thing. Like I'm getting a physical response to my emotions. At that point I had a panic attack where my breathing went really ir- ir- irregular and I had to calm myself down while being on the ground because this armed robber was getting really annoyed by my breathing habits <laughs> sorry i'll just have a panic attack quietly <laughs> in the corner wow um anyway the husband the, he wasn't the husband at the time but the boyfriend came home from shul which they then took oh this was on shabbos this was on shabbos friday night they stabbed him in the back they stabbed her brother in the back um and then at, at some point after about an hour an hour and a half we thought we were all going to be killed we all thought the same thing because they put the TV on really loud and we thought they were doing that so that the bullet wouldn't be heard. So I kind of just made my bo- body like um, limp because I was like, maybe if I like make my muscles like really relaxed, then when the bullet comes, it, it won't hurt, hurt so bad. <laughs> it was oh, wow. nuts. It was just nuts. The, the boys who were stabbed were just bleeding? They were bleeding. They, they, they were crying or screaming when they, the knife went in and... We couldn't look up because we were face down in the ground. I could just hear what was going on. Um, eventually, they put the TV on really loud, and that was their way of escaping to distract us. And after a few minutes, um, the guys were like, okay, they've gone. We we stayed lying there for a few minutes because we didn't Suddenly realize. Suddenly dawned on you that they had left. Suddenly, we realized we couldn't hear their voices anymore and that they had left. And then everyone untied each other. And uh, so being a hostage... Uh, and being abducted or taken out of your home, which is what happened on September on October seventh in Israel, for for many many people, it's a sad reality that they had to experience, and are still experiencing. Like the parents of these hostages are still waiting, 
Um, it's been a long time. I mean, one this of them. This is a very unusual trauma. I right. mean, how this is like books will be written on what these people are going through. It's just so so extreme. Right, and so extreme. and like post traumatic stress is after the 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 traumatic event is finished. We're still going. They are, and they are still going through the trauma. Uh, one one doctor re, uh, called it present traumatic tra- stress because we're still going through it right so we don't even There's all know these microcosms of trauma so you have the people at the core the people who were affected directly on october 7th the most traumatized who are still going through it even if you got away scot-free on october 7th if you lived in the if you lived in the, the envelope of gaza there there's so many ways that this could have affected a person beyond functioning, like to get to the point where they're like, they have every excuse in the world to not show up for life. Right. Like what right. they went through. Right. And then you have like the, the layers of an onion. You have like the rest of the country who are dealing with the trauma secondhand, depending on how many degrees of separation there is from them and what happened on October 7th from ground zero. But the bottom line is everybody basically has been affected by Hamas. And if you live here, well, you likely are suffering and affected by this. Right. It's just so I feel, and that's a good point, Hanale, that you brought up. I feel that at the moment, either you're healing or you need to be healed. Or either you're giving comfort or you need to be comforted. There's so much pain right now. And I see it in the hospitals. I see it in the soldiers. I see it in the the hostage family that are waiting desperately every day and trying not to give up um, and they have some kind of strength that's coming from somewhere they're amazing Baruch Hashem and people have been coming back Baruch Hashem so it, it's hope right there's hope every time um, talk think, about a little bit about the people that you you told me you went to see right the wives or the, the right right of right soldiers. so at one family fund which is a organization in Jerusalem to help uh, victims of terror in Israel and war families affected by the war uh, we had a morning for widows these are young girls they're 20 between 20 and 30 some of them have little kids some of them don't some of them just got married um, and when I said to the one widow, what what do you remember? Like, what is the happiest? You know, with somatic therapy, what it really is is um, building on a feeling of comfort or or ease in the body, and then alternating between a feeling of discomfort and releasing the trauma through the through, on a cellular level through the body. Um, so I said to her, I could see she was quite stressed. Her hands were um, scrunching up a lot. She didn't want to uncross her legs. And her shoulders were really, really tight. And I said to her, um, um, I think her name was Michal. I said, Michal, what do you remember? Like one of your most incredible memories that just gives you peace, right? Because we need a resilient, we need something to go back to um, a resource. A reference point. A, a ref- sorry, not resilient. A, a, um, a resource that when she starts releasing the trauma and sh- I can see that she's suffering, I need to go to the resource and, and bring her out. It's, it's like when you ask a couple who's fighting, when were you first in love? What exactly. That That's exactly right. Like uh, I had another client who recently wanted to get divorced and I was like, why did you marry him? Like why? And you see her whole face like glow and like she's, oh, you know, like we're the same. And it's also so that the body physically responds. Correct. It's a physical response. It's in the cells. It's in the muscles. It's a, it's a chemical response. So I said to her, her to this widow you know what memory do you have and she remembers when he proposed to her and and just the feelings and we bring up all the senses I'm like what time of day was it what can you hear what like what do you feel in your body and 
And you just see this little smile, like a tiny smile, right? Come for a second. And if we can bring them any comfort, even for one second, that, that's enough. People yeah, are suffering. Need, people need more than one second. Right. So, so the, the, the rule is to teach them tools to be able to do this for themselves. We can all heal ourselves. We all have that capacity. Hashem made us to be able to heal ourselves, right? We're all a rambam walking around. We're all a, a real-life living rambam walking around. Um, so you're saying that Israel has... Oh, there's hope here that people oh, that we for can sure. come, come for out of sure. this. Ah, so we wanted to talk about Aliyah. Why make Aliyah? So I made Aliyah in 2018. I came back with my two-year-old daughter. It was like a full circle of healing because I was two when I left. Um, why should people still make Aliyah? I, we, I see through Olim Advisors that we had a girl, a, a young girl, she must be in her early 20s. She made Aliyah the first week of the war, right? Unheard of. Everything was closed. That was the date that Nefesh Benefesh gave her. The flight was booked. They didn't cancel it. She came into a war zone. At that time, we were all in complete shock. Nobody knew what to do. The school, how to feel. The, how to yeah. feel. the schools so were closed. New reality for Israelis. New yeah. reality. We were knocked into it, and the schools were closed. The, uh, my office was like all the offices. Yeah, all there were rockets every single day. There were rockets. Yeah, we had in Bet Shemesh, yeah. which is where Hanela and I live. We, we well, we're not used have to sirens, that. Yeah, right. we rarely have sirens. Nobody cares about little old Bet Shemesh. <laughs> right, little old Bet Shemesh in the map. We're on the in like close to Jerusalem, and Baruch Hashem, you know, uh, that's one of the reasons we chose to live here. We didn't want to put our children through any more trauma because coming from South Africa, we didn't want to go to somewhere like Ashkelon or Haifa where there could be sirens, right? So Baruch Hashem, Bet Shemesh didn't have. But on October 7th, we knew there was something big happening because from 8 o'clock in the morning and when we were about to leave for shul, for Simcha's Torah, the sirens did not stop. Well, the whole country experienced October 7th. Right. Nobody, nobody got away scot-free on that day. That Correct. Day was it was an entire war country. War broke out and everybody was knocked off their feet and set into motion. Right. But for Bet Shemesh especially, we're not used to that. Like one siren in five years is what we've had. And so, the explosions. It wasn't just Oh, siren. yeah. There you're were right. explosions overhead. I completely forget about yeah, that. Yeah. Even till you today. You could hear booms. Yeah, right. You could, hear, you the could hear these huge booms. And my little seven-year-old would be shaking. Our dog. Oreo would be shaking in the in the safe room. We go into a safe room and you hear these booms and you're like, we've never heard that. We, we've never heard those booms. So that was also very unusual. We got to the shul, Simchat Torah. There were planes flying over. There was soldiers leaving, getting dressed, getting into the car. We had found out that there were hostages. We were told by the rabbi, 40 hostages. And we cried and we danced. And we we're like, you know how hard it is to feel happy when you're sad? It's it's like there was a, a terrible sense of dread and gloom that day. Unfortunately, that right. hung over everyone. You when you think back, you feel the heaviness of that day. Right. Um, but so so that the country was in an active in an active state of emergency, and the trauma was unfolding. Right. It unfolded as the news came in, as Shabbos came out, as right. the numbers increased, and then as the world started dancing on our blood. This trauma has been so exacerbated. This is four so months many, in, Yeah, right? this is four months in. You have, like you said, South Africa, the, the ICJ, people tweet, the anti-Semitism, the demonstrating, and the politicians, and Biden's wishy-washiness. I mean, talk about getting a zets back and forth. I mean, we're just like, sometimes I feel like we're in this amusement park ride just being thrown around without seatbelts in one of these Correct. non-gravity Correct. rides. You know what I mean? Like, you're not strapped, and you're just being flung from side to side, kafakela. Right, so I like that analogy because 
because it definitely feels that way. And I, th- and I feel like what you can do to help yourself in Israel and out of Israel is to connect to Hashem, which everywhere, that's our seatbelt. Hashem is literally our seatbelt because we're going to go through this crazy roller coaster no matter what, right? It's happening. Those booms that we had to hear day after day. I mean, you'd, you'd go outside with your kids. We wouldn't leave the house. First of all, that first month was nuts. But when we did finally come out quietly, it was like Corona all over again, right? We're like stuck inside. We're scared. Um, when we did leave the house and you'd hear booms, we'd have to run. Such How much time do we yet. have in Bet Shemesh? We have like 90 seconds, something, one know. minute, I one minute. I running into the mamad and, and hearing explosions right away. Right. So my Who's husband's had explosions to on top say? of his head. He, he was on shul duty. Right. These are all guesstimates at the end right, of the day. Right, exactly. They're guesstimates. Um, so oh, like we're jumping from thing to thing because we were talking about the trauma and then I said, do you feel like there's hope and, and Israel could heal itself? And then we went into Aliyah. Right. Right. And then right. we're talking about October 7th. Right. So, I wanna, so let's I wanna, go back to Aliyah. And hope, um, like I said. So for you, girl, for people to still make Aliyah is a sign that there's still hope here in Israel. Absolutely. Not just hope, but promise, promise, and opportunity, right. and and healing, and and growth, and that we're you know we're like you know what they say they they try to bury us they know we were seeds like right now we're like struggling through the soil. But we're gonna we're gonna grow again, and that's what was so symbolic, by the way, the tree planting thing. Because on the one hand, I was like, it's so soon. Why are we planting trees? On the other hand, but this is what it is. Mm. You will not defeat us. We will grow. And they planted olive trees that live for hundreds and hundreds of wow, years. Wow, wow, wow. And that's yeah. So you're saying that people shouldn't think to themselves that coming to Israel now is off the table because we're going through a war and it's it's a terrible time to make Aliyah. Right. So I quite l- the opposite. I've looked at the statistics um, from immigration to Israel was actually quite a high number in the past four months. Surprisingly, you would think it would go down. No, it's been huge. Well, that's because of what's going on in Chutzla. Right, there's anti-Semitism, there's, there's whatever. In the universities, there's uh, aggression, the, the riots. Right. It's Who knows where, where it's going. Right, like I wonder, gone. in another universe... If, you know, sometimes like when Israel has their wars, people will almost be like, oh, you see, you see what happens in Israel? Like, of course we can't live there. It's not safe and so on because look at America. Everything here is la-di-da on a Sunday mm, afternoon. Mm. But now we have this two realities have collided. The fact that Jews are not welcome in Chutzlaret and that Israel can feel like a war zone, even though, of course, it's, you know, Hashem is watching Israel. It's just next level. We could talk about some of the miracles. We should talk about so, some of so the miracles. I want, exactly. I want to talk about the, what the Lubavitcher Rebbe said um, when he was questioned if people in Yeshiva should go back home during that war. And he said that Israel is the for. safest place in the entire world. It has a protection that, you know, believe it if you want. If you're a believer, great. If you're not, Hashem. Hashem should help you to become a believer, but I believe it, okay? I only know what my reality is, and I've seen Hashem here. I've seen how He helps. I've seen the miracles. I've seen how He answers prayers. Um, there's no other explanation for how these Israeli soldiers are surviving. Have you seen some of the videos, some of the footage of what they're up against in Gaza? It's, it's not normal. Well, you want to just send, like, pretend soldiers to take care of this, but we have to send real people. That's almost the matrix to me. They are dodging bullets to, an like, a not a natural way. Hashem is literally, look, they are fallen soldiers. You know, Chaz it should soldiers. never happen, but it, it hurts. It hurts when they, and when it's from our city, it hurts. When it's these young boys and we see their names on the news, it hurts. Um, so there is loss. We are experiencing loss. But the numbers, like, 
God forbid, what it could have been. I mean, th- what they're up against and what they're going through, it, Hashem's there. There's no doubt. There's no doubt that He's protecting and helping. And um, and also the missiles that fell. The I mean, missiles. Oh, my goodness. We, How many we, thousands? They're like flying refrigerators. Like, imagine a flying refrigerator was coming at you. 3,000 of those. Yeah, over the course of a few months while you're living your life, going to Costco and, and hanging out in the park. Insane. Insanity. But, we, but, but every time... Every time they land, we don't even recognize the miracle yeah, that they didn't Baruch actually Hashem. land where they, you know, where they were intended to land. I think that we've had like two deaths from a missile, which is the statistics are nuts um, yeah. compared to what's been thrown at us. Yeah, um, and they're still throwing at us, right? Yeah. From Hezbollah from the north. Um, so you say, so you, so you still feel, or it's Israel? I the still most safe feel place in the world. that Israel is the safest place in the in the entire world. Not only that, we have Brocha here. We have. It's Kadosh. Hashem's here. He guards Israel. Did you know that he sends his angels to guard over the, the rest of the countries? But he himself guards Israel. And I feel him. I feel him here. I, would, I don't even want to leave for one minute. Like, even going to Elat for me, uh, is, you know, is too much. Like, that's... I, going to South Africa, I go for four days. My family thinks it's the funniest thing. Like, just the flight alone. Like, how can you do that? I'm like, no, nope, I can't be out of Israel for more than like a few days. If there's chaos, you want to be... As close as possible to your father, who's correct. Who, but whose also, there's an energy you. here. Like, if you look into energy healing and into vibrations and sound vibrations and all of that, there's something that you feel when you're in the land of Israel. When you get off that plane, the air, the the just walking on the land is a mitzvah. Being by the kotel, going to Kever Rachel, just living, just being alive here is a mitzvah. Yeah, I always say. Best part of living in Israel is actually living in Israel. Right. Actually being here. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. That's the reward. Right. So Aliyah, yes, still people are coming. Come. We want you here. But let's talk about the challenges of Aliyah for okay, a minute. Okay, Bessedel. Because realistically, I made Aliyah. My husband's Israeli. He took care of all the paperwork. So that's why he, we have a limb advisors. We do the paperwork. Right. So you do the paperwork. Okay. So that that is a massive process. It's and huge. I think yes. So if let's say you get your paperwork in order. You told your parents, you're setting a date, you're moving to Israel. From my perspective, as somebody who's living here, where exactly are these people landing? So that's a, that's a very good question that you've, that you've brought up because part of the difficulty of making a decision to leave where you are familiar with and especially coming to Israel, which is a different language or different culture, whatever it is, is not knowing what it will be like. Um, and there's, there's a thing in trauma recovery as well that you can um, role play or through drama imagine a certain situation and it helps you come out of that trauma. So with making Aliyah, the more you have resources to, to, to understand what it's like here, the more comfortable the transition will be. For example, people come on a pilot trip. It's, it's a week or two weeks, whatever it is, and you come and you check out a whole lot of different cities. We set up appointments for schools. We find, um, according to your level of hashgacha, um, what city suits you better, uh, what kind of jobs you're looking for. So there is a way to make it more comfortable. Once you've done that, it I, helps. One second, I, I'm thinking now, my question. See, w- what people from Chutz Laaretz imagine is that there's this kind of cookie-cutter environment when you move to Israel and you're here and you start your life alongside all these new olim. Besedo. But it's not like that. So there is it's something. It's finding your place in Israel. Which school, which neighborhood, which community, depending on your background as well. Right. So people really do have to find their place. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be a process, maybe a process of elimination, until you find 
your permanent forever home here in right. Israel. So I like that you're being realistic because if you come with the mindset that I know it's not going to be easy, but I'm in, I'm all in, I'm committed, I'm loyal to making this work no matter what, then you have a different chance. But if you come in and you're like, oh, it's so like idealistic, it's so like, um, right, it's going to be fine, everything's going to be great, it's going to be like America, no, then a lot of people don't make it, right? So I came in with a, with a outlook of, I know it's going to be hard and I don't care. I, I'm in. I'm, I am 100% committed to making it work. Um, and Hashem th- saves a place for every Jew here. Ma- mamash, a mamash. To. He wants us here. This is, this is home. So what I wanted to say about what you just said about the cookie cutter thing, about fitting in, there is such a thing called a soft landing where you can join an Anglo community and then it is a lot more comfortable, like Ramat Bet Shemesh Aleph, um, yeah, Natanya. I'm apartment here. I'm not going to tell Nahon. you that. that like, uh, okay, that's you know, where the miracles... Next door, right, right, that's that's where the miracles that's come in. That's what I'm saying. Like, we looked at 17 apartments until we found this one and it's Pasher because this, this apartment is This is a special like, one, Baruch Hashem. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so for us too, we didn't know where we were going. A friend took a video for us. He was like, this is the place. We were told there's certain streets in Ramai Bet Shemesh that are more... Your uh, Hashkofa, right? Because there's some Haredi streets, and we were told stick to these roads. We found a place on one of those roads. We'd never seen it before. And we signed. We're like, that's it. Turns out the school, the only school in the entire country that suited my son because he needed a specific kind of school, was on that road. If that's not a miracle, then I right. don't know what is. So I think to move here, you need Amuna. You need huge Amuna. You need, so you need faith. Um, you need trust because. There are going to be times when you're not sure what Hashem has in mind for you, or if you maybe, you know, you're Yetzirah, I might tell you you made a mistake, so you're going to need trust. You need Siata Deshmaya, which you will get, because like you said, you make an Aliyah and your mazel changes. Especially here in Eretz Yisrael, where we're living on miracles here. So miracles are readily available, just grab one. And then lastly, I was going to think there was one more thing, I mean, it never ends. You need hope, because that I think is what is at the beating heart of all this, because at the end of the day, um, right? We're not afraid of the long road. Ah, we can do it. That's what it is. Okay. My accent is my, I know someone somewhere is cringing. (laughs) (laughs) I think you did pretty well. I don't know what Hebrew I speak anymore. So the eternal nation is not afraid of the long road because we have hope. And it doesn't have, and hope means understanding that today is not great. Today is awful. Today we are suffering. But if in that moment of your suffering, of your trauma, you could a connect to your maker, whether it's saying you know seven times, uh, uh, you know people said they said Shema. They said one woman said that she was in the Holocaust. In a, they were hiding somewhere, and she sent a message to Chayilim. She made the bracha of Hamotzi Lechem in Aretz over oh and over because that was the only bracha she knew. And then when she left, and she when she was saved, she discovered Hamotzi Lechem in Aretz. What's Lechem? Milchama, war. Whoa. So she told the Chayilim to say that bracha over and over when they feel like they need a miracle from Hashem, a Yeshua. So part of the the components of living here. A, lends itself to Aliyah at any time. Because if you're living in Israel, you're in this perpetual state of almost uncertainty, but also certainty. We're uncertain about 
what our future holds, because everything here is up in the sky until Mashiach comes. Um, and second of all, certainty, because we know, like you said, Hashem is here. And Hashem has a special relationship with Israelis who live here. Correct. And who commit to living here. He, and he holds to us. Here. He holds us. If you look at the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea is in Israel not for no reason. It's to show us, sit back and lie in Hashem's hands, right? He's got us. Like the way you, you picture, float. you float. You lie on your back in the Dead Sea and you float. And you do burns. nothing. So, hello, that's a good cuts. analogy. <laughs> that's a good analogy. It burns. Cuts, yeah. It burns. It We're not going to lie that it, it, you, you, we get living here through Isarim, right? We have to suffer to live in this land until Mashiach comes, right? We earn it that way. So I'm not going to make it all rosy and say living here is, is the easiest thing in the world. We, we work hard. We fight. We, we stay positive. And it is painful at times, but anything's painful. Even not living here is painful. But when having I, a dog could be painful on right, a rainy day. Anything's painful. You know, yeah, exactly. On a rainy day, a dog is painful. This is what I want to say, and and I did some life coach training as well. What we're taught on is to keep your eye on the goal, right? The process is going to be brutal. Look, look at an athlete. You have to train to get to to winning something. You just keep your eye on that goal. And my goal was to stay here with the Jewish people. And we're living history right now. Did you know when Mashiach comes, all the Jews are going to come back to Israel? There's going to be more, 51% in Israel. And that's when one of the prophecies, that that's when he will come, that we'll be here. So we are living history right now. We're so we part of that. So we need 51% of right. people in we're, exile. We're at, we're at like 49 right now. So we we're need getting close. 2%. We're getting really close. Like right. it's the closest we've ever been. It's very right. exciting. Um, but that's what I want to say is that you keep your eye on the goal. And, and the goal is I want to be here. I want to be part of making history with the Jewish people. I want to go visit soldiers in hospital and give them comfort because they're fighting to, to protect us. I want to give a widow one second of a smile because she, the, she's done the biggest, she's gone through the biggest sacrifice because of, because of her you know, living this life. And she's so goodness of the earth, of living in Israel. You can see in her eyes. She's like, Hashem is comforting her. I, I feel like, like... It's one thing to be idealistic and say it because Aliyah is fun and there's, you know, ice cream. It is also it's fun. Kosher. There's cool it food. It is fun. No, no, it's yeah. a great experience. I, I Listen, I made a career out of ranting and raving about everything I love about Israel. Right. But what I'm saying is when you really make a sacrifice, when you sacrifice your child or your spouse, your future, your life your peace, your calm, your parnasa. First of all, that's what Hashem wants. You know, that's really what Hashem wants to see. Hashem wants to see that, number one, Am Yisrael is united, we'll fight for each other. I think that's been a, you know, we've had a beautiful display of Avas Yisrael and camaraderie and love for one another. And that's just part of the parcel. We have to be one. That's just how we have to be. And if it comes through Yisurun and if it comes through challenges, so be it. Hashem watches us in our pain knowing that we're going to comfort each other. We're going to come together. And that's been something remarkable that we've experienced here in Eretz Yisrael and from our sisters and brothers across the sea. But part of living here is being idealistic and helping each other. And I think it really goes back to what you said earlier. You're either now going through a trauma and suffering or helping someone else and using all the tools in your toolkit to be part of the war effort, even if you're not physically fighting. Right. So right. that's, yeah. Right. And just, just to tie up, like to finish up, um, like holding, holding uh, um, having light or having hope to really get through this because some days can feel really painful. And, uh, and, you know, when we hear the news and 21 soldiers have been killed, 
the whole country is mourning that that news. It is so painful. Everyone's slightly depressed. Right. Everyone's scared as well. Like they're looking over the shoulder. It's we're on edge, right? Mm-hmm. It's not it's not mm-hmm. uh, flowers and dandy right now. But um, if you keep your eye on the goal, and for me, the ultimate goal is Mashiach. Right, I've been obsessed with that since becoming a Baltashiva. I decided I'm going to learn Hilchas Mashiach. Oh, beautiful. Here. This is the Halachas yeah, of the Beis HaMikdash concerning the construction and design of the Beis HaMikdash um, with explanations and inspiration from the Lubavitcher Rabbi. I could lend it to you when I'm done. Okay, please do. But that, yeah, uh, I am one of the lucky ones that have the time to read. I so love I'm it, going love to. it, love mm-hmm. it. Maybe we can share some of that on your podcast one day and, and, and maybe if your, your, viewer, your listeners want to have more of this kind of conversation. and I feel um, like they, they will. So if you do and uh, you want uh, me to come back or you want to hear more from Hanile in a certain direction, please comment. Hanile, do you want to explain oh, how you so comment? Cute. I love you. <laughs> oh, you're right. Because I don't know how to comment on First your First of all, podcast. people could leave a speak pipe. That's the, they could literally leave a voice note that I could forward to you. How do you do that? So there's a link in the show notes. There's a link in the show notes. That means you tap on the name of the podcast in Apple Podcasts, you slide down, and you see all the notes for the show, and everything is clickable. So you click on the link, you can leave a a, a voice note, and that could just be a way that you express yourself regarding this conversation. Because I feel like people are yeah, we want to hear from you. Like, give us a reason to carry on. Yes, we want to hear from you. First of all, what could what do you do? Do you do like Zooms? Do you do classes on- online? Like if people want to reach out to you, let's say to speak. For, right. So I used you know. to. I used to do that on YouTube. Right now. You're I'm, like, I'm retired walking my dog with Hanwha. I'm retired YouTube <laughs> for now. <laughs> now we, we're in the field, like literally on the bases, the hospitals, Baruch Hashem. I, I also practice from a clinic in Ramat Bet Shemesh. But, you know, I'll be contactable through you if they want to send yeah, a message. Yeah, they can email me. Or you want right. to you wanna... get an email. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah, I should say yeah, that. Go ahead. So, yeah. sh- so it's very hard to say this name, but um, Shibolet, which is spelled S H I B O L E T, and then dot F at gmail.com. You're welcome to message on there. But I'd love to see some comments on this talk and just hear how do you find strength? What do you, what's your goal? How do you keep your eye on um, staying positive? And, and even though the war is here and it's not there, like I said, every Jewish soul in a collective, we're going through a collective trauma right now where the Jewish people have felt October 7th together, like wherever you are in the world. I know that for, for sure. And also I'm seeing a lot of people getting a love for Israel that never was, maybe it was quieter, but now it's coming out louder. People's that they, hearts are their hearts blue and white. are bleeding, exactly, yeah. blue and white. They want to be here, even if you cannot get here for whatever reason, money, um, whatever, family, work, whatever it is, their heart really wants to be here. Like they want to wo- volunteer. Like a lot of the volunteers on the bases are from all over, Canada, Hello, England. Yesterday I had lunch with a girl I went to seminary with. She called me. She's like, I'm here from Australia. See? I said, why? Exactly. She goes, first of all, I have three kids here in yeshiva. She said, second of all, we came 15 women on our own initiative to help, and we went to cut lettuce, and now we're going to Waffle Bar. <laughs> and she there took me go. out for lunch, and I was oh, like, oh, nice. this is so nice. Yeah. That's exactly right. They've come to help in any I way possible. I was so impressed. And you know what it feels? First of all, it feels right, because you know what, when I look at her, I'm like, I know you're Australian, but you're also like Jewish, so you're, you know, you belong here we as much as that. I do. We share those genetics, right? right? We share right. that. 
So the fact that that yearning brought them, and that's a, that's a far expensive trip. Right. And they came here just to... Just to help. And, show and, solidarity. And, and we've had um, a very big thing. I don't know if you've spoken about this, but all our farming um, workers were Arabs who, because of the war situation, have not been in or out or whatever is, you know, for security reasons. A lot of the farms and farmers are, are suffering. So the produce is getting... Wasted or they're well, not able. Well, first of all, the farms up north are, are not even accessible. I mean, they're they're war zones. People right. are not there, and Correct. they've been abandoned. This is following Shemitah, which is a double whammy. Exactly, exactly. Talk right. about having a Muna to live here. Um, but I was going to say because you said that the Arab workers are not here. Yesterday was revealed that the pigua on Friday. I know. Was he, he worked in Bechemish? He was a bus driver. I know. A local it, bus driver it's not who lo- has kids here. But she said that he became... So this girl went on, on social media and she said that my father worked with him. He drove the garbage truck. This guy drove the garbage truck. They were colleagues, I guess. Right, a garbage driver, not a bus driver. Right, a right, right. Driver. Yeah, I saw that. And he, she said that lately he, had, he became more intense. He grew his beard. He was more moody. So there were signs, which were missed, by the way. But her point was... You know, this is obviously for a, a different episode, but her point was that that you know, the, 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 people this can, can happen. Change. Yeah, yeah. Well, not even people can change. People are in the Palestinians are all the same. So, so I, I actually want to say something to that because there's uh, Dr. Peter Peter Levine speaks about a collective healing and and how people can forgive. I mean, right now I'm not going to get into that because we're in the middle of war and we're not. In, in that mindset. What, forgive their murderers? No, not the murderers, not the murderers. But, for example, I'll give you an example. At Hadassah Hospital, there was a, a Muslim nurse. And she came up to me and she said, I see that you're doing like whatever, a massage for the soldiers or whatever. And my, soul, my, my shoulder is really in pain. Could you help my me? My husband threw me down the stairs. No, yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but this is what I want to say, Hanale. Like, and this goes back to us talking about the nannies turning on you and how you can never really, uh, you know, it, it could happen to anyone. But when I looked in her eyes and, and I had to fight my own, um, my own emotions because how can I put my hands onto this this woman who is not a Jew and hates us. Her, her people hate us, right? Um, they want to kill us. They have killed us. And I'm now going to heal her and put Hashem's love, because it's not me. I don't do the healing. I'm literally a clee. I'm literally a clee. I, I get my body and my, my soul and my mind um, aligned in a certain way. And it's a lot of training. I have to meditate every day and do yoga and everything that you hate. <laughs> Said. <laughs> <laughs> drink a lot yeah, of water yeah. and um anyway i had to put my hands on this on this nurse and and put hashem's love into her shoulder to get her healed and well, i was hashem like created her i have no correct so in the end the muslims are actually our step brothers and sisters avraham was their father as well anyway that's again for another life and when we are over this war but the point is i did it and dr peter levine talks about healing between um Palestinians and I don't even know why they call that between Muslims and Jews um, and they let the children play with musical instruments and that's how they heal it's generational collective trauma that that gets healed through this act of playing well I think there's a future where there's a yearning for peace there has to be a will right when we that's have what a Mashiach partner is. 
What do you mean that's when Mashiach? Mashiach is peace for the entire Mashiach world. will bring peace. Correct. Or Mashiach will usher in the era of peace. Correct. But right now, we are not living in an era of peace. No. Right now, we are living in an era where we simply have to defend ourselves from a people who believe in a story that the whole world supports, that it's all or nothing. It's us or them. And it's a very sad reality when you're finding someone that's not willing to have a conversation that's not willing to negotiate on normal, humane terms. Like, you can stay alive, and you could, you know, practice freely Judaism in the Middle East. Like, like that's, not, that's not an option for us. So it's a sad reality when you have to fight to exist. Right. And it's right. unfortunate right. for Eretz Israel that we, we have to go through an actual physical war, um, which, of course, is happening on a spiritual plane as well. Like Correct, that's really very what it comes much. Down to. I'm glad you brought that up because there's yeah. a mirror in Shemaim and and this war is probably one step I'm imagining in the correction of the of the sin of Adam Arishon. Like we're the entire five thousand whatever years that we've been and leading up to this. Leading up to this, right? We've been growing and suffering and how many times have we lost our beta beta mikdash and 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 how many times have we been kicked out or or uh, you know murdered or whatever right, and now we're back and we're so close we're so close there's more jews i mean there's more jews in Israel than right, there are we're very close i know uh, not yet we're on 49 oh, e- trust so me i'm watching million? it oh I'm you're watching, watching it like you have a big sign close. in your house every time someone i have a number a, i have a number <laughs> <laughs> every time they get through customs i'm wow. like oh, we're not, no i'm kidding it's in my mind wow like <laughs> that's crazy but we're very close 49 percent. we need to be on 52 and then that's when mashiach arrives and i think get you know like my husband says that i am a bit idealistic in telling everyone to make and like get on a plane get here now because it's happening and he's like no you need to be more uh, real about it like how they're going to get a job and how they're going to survive and i'm like but how did we get a job how do we survive we didn't know what was happening we just came right so right listen it's not there are people that don't make it that go back that that feel that there are people who go back tough. and then come back here. correct correct and again i feel like that's written and that's your fate but do you, Hishtadlut, if your heart wants to be here and, and you want to be a part of this history that's happening right now, you know, like in, in any way you can, whether it's saying to heal him from, you heard that story about the 5,000 children that said to heal him yeah. at the same time on the clock. Oh, no. It was the exact same time on the clock in Israel um, when the two hostages were recovered last week. On their podcast, they do a Tehillim podcast? Yeah. She did a Zoom, this, um, I, I don't remember her name, a young Jewish teacher with 5,000 Jewish children. And at that exact moment in time, she remembers the time that she, she asked one of the little boys to shout out a peric. I'm not sure why, but at that point she wanted him to shout out a peric, and he did. This little boy, and she has him recorded shouting the peric. There was a, there was a time on the clock. That was the same time that they found the two hostages, those elderly men last week. The wow. Argentinians or whoever wow. they were. So the point is, guys... When you live here, you feel Hashem. You feel Hashem. You feel Hashem. He's here. It's not perfect. Again, we are like well, through the mud. With, Hashem is with us in our darkest hours. Right, darkest correct. Darkest hour, hour correct. as well. Correct. Yeah. So thank you for doing this. Thank you for having My me. My pleasure. I'm I so upset we it. haven't done this earlier. What a wasted opportunity. <laughs> I know. We've been planning it. We've been only it. friends for what? A while. Since the beginning yeah. of the war, Hashem yeah. knew. But w- there's a thing. A, a man plans and Hashem laughs. Like So he knew it would happen today and that's nothing was going to be sooner or later. So. I love it. And I know that... Um, 
we're going to hear from people who are like, let's uh, co-host Shibola. That's it. She oh, wins. Oh, that's a chef. I'm in. You never know. I'm in. I'm in. So give All us right. your comments, guys. I yeah. want to hear. We want to hear from you. Like, yeah. Show us that there's someone out there that it's worth doing this, right? Hanela and I both, we had a conversation about this. Like, how do you earn a living? And how do you, where, what do you give back? Like, how do you, you know, receive back what you're giving out? Well, right? people, are, people are amazing at it. And I'm always astounded when they take the time and they email, like, I listen and it means something to me. And I'm thinking of making Aliyah. A woman wrote to me that she made a trip here and she volunteered and she, like, she she really appreciated that we stop here from whatever we're doing here. And life is hectic. Let me tell you, like we're, both we're of us busy. are going to go into we're motion nuts. now yeah. and not, you know, sit down till the end of the day. Nahon. But we, we know that we're part of a bigger picture. We're part of a family and we want to connect and you I know, love, that. love and love feel that. loved. Right. I love that. Right? We want to connect and love and feel loved. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank that's, you so hello. much. That's why this is like the number one Jewish podcast in the world. I love it. <laughs> love it. Love it. Thank you so much for being here. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. So there me. you have it. Episode 177 of the Weekly Squeeze Podcast. Don't forget to check out my show notes for all the links that you need. Donate to the IDF. Leave me a speak pipe. Join the Weekly Squeeze WhatsApp chat. And of course, leave me a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That's it for today. I'll see you next time.